Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Good morning. There's a lot of people in this service. <laughs> nice. Hey, uh, my name is Efren Perdomo. I'm uh, one of the teaching pastors here and also work at RTI on the other side. Um, but it's really good to be with you. Um, it's been a while, and maybe that's by design, but it's always good to be up here with you. And thank to those on live stream. Um, we're so glad that you're joining us this evening, or this morning. Morning. Let me uh, give you... Uh, give you a couple things to put your attention to. Uh, one, we just had Trunk or Treat the other day on Saturday, and we had a total of a th- oh, like over a thousand guests come through. Yeah, clap for that, yeah. Which means 16,000 pieces of candies and toys, which that's a, that's a rowdy crowd right there. And um, lastly, I wanna point your attention to the rows on the stage. Um, that someone from Salem Free Clinic decided to give their life to Christ. So let's clap for that as well. Yeah, as, as you know, we've been going through our sermon series in Ezekiel, and it has felt some bit heavy, like a nightmare, um, if I could say. Uh, it's been an amazing book, but also a really strange one. I'm sure many of you can agree with that. The famous theologian, Uncle Ben, from Spider-Man, once said, with great power comes great responsibility. How about you say it this time with me? With great power comes great responsibility. I'm sure many of you recognize this scene. It's It's quite a powerful one. It's an exceptional word of wisdom from an average movie. There's always a delay in that laugh. Uh, And if you don't know, this actually, this line actually comes from a first century parable, which sort of uh, has this idea that a person cannot uh, enjoy the, the, the privileges of power alone, but it makes its holders responsible for both what they do with it and what they fail to do with it. And this is Peter Parker's ever-aching toil throughout the whole film. He's wondering whether to use his superpower for selfish gain or for the service of others. And I think we can all recognize that this is actually a very deep idea. Because we all know that the abuse of power is everywhere. We see it in our news. We feel it in our communities. And for some of us, we experience it. We often fantasize about ways we can enact justice in an unjust world. Yet, as history has shown us, um, in our attempts to subvert the powers to be, we often tend to look like the very people we fought against. Here's a quote from one of the philo- philosopher, famous philosopher, that said, the oppressed, instead of striving for liberation, tend themselves to become oppressors. Another historian adds this, our anxiety to avoid oppression leads us to practice it ourselves. The injustice we repel, we visit in turn upon others. As if there were no choice except either to do it or to suffer it. 
So here's the critical question or problem for us all in this room. Everyone, and I mean everyone, is susceptible to the seduction of power for selfish gain, thus cycling its abuse. And we can all very quickly turn from the oppressed to the oppressor. How then should we as the people of God first respond to the seduction of power for our own selfish gain? And second, how do we respond when we are the ones receiving the abuse of power? If you're following our Ezekiel sermon series and also in our Bible study guide, you'll know that we land right in the middle of the book. And I know, we're almost there. Actually, we're not. It's, it's a little bit. And the focus of this section turns away from the judgment on Israel over to the surrounding nations. You'll see up here a map of just kind of the general area. You'll see Israel on your side on the left next to the Mediterranean. And our focus will be on this one little city, Tyre. Uh, Tyre is actually one of the major players in this whole region and has a lot of power. And specifically, we'll focus on the king. And as we approach our text, we will see that the answers to these questions can be seen from two lenses. One, the king of Tyre's pride, and second, God's justice. So if you would, please turn with me to Ezekiel 28, and we'll start in verse 11. And it'll be on the screen for you. And I lost my bookmark, so now I have to look for it too. And it reads, Then this further message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the, from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue green beryl, onyx green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. You banished, uh, so I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O oh, mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you down to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire out from within you and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All who knew you were appalled at your fate. You, you have come to a terrible end, and you will exist no more. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. 
In this poetic lament, we see God's heart for Israel and also his pain for the king of Tyre. And for our message today, we will see how Tyre's pride corrupted his vision of power and how God's justice reorders it, power, back to its proper place. So let's start first. Tyre's pride, a corrupted vision of power. The theme of pride is probably the main emphasis throughout this whole passage of the king, and it's unfolding uh, in, within our eyes. We see as readers from chapter, actually from chapter 26 to this section, we're guided into the slow narration of not only the city, but also the king's demise. Beauty, wisdom, abundance of resources, all given by God, corrupted, defiled. We're left asking, what happened? Well, the first thing, I want to take you through this process of the process of pride through what we see in the text. And one of the first things that we see is the exclusion of God. Consider the illusion, the Garden of Eden. As you saw in the text, there's a mention And if we're familiar with the story arc of scripture, we know that this is likely a reference to when Adam and Eve step into the scene and they are in the context of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the one commandment God gave them not to eat from. And then comes the serpent with a cunning question. Did God really say, you can become like God? Adam and Eve convinced proceed with the option that excludes God. This is an illusion, a mirror for the king of Tyre, the pattern of pride. The first time pride enters the story of scripture, God's story. Next, we see the elevation of self. In verses two, we see that the king actually declares himself I don't need you, God, because I am God. Because I have all the beauty, wisdom, wealth, and treasures needed. We see that in verse 12 and in verse 17 as well. And throughout our passage, God makes every effort to realign the king of Tyre's uh, place. Yet is I who appointed, yet is I who created, and yet is I who gave. Beauty, wisdom, Rulership. These are not bad things at all. They're great things, in fact. But at the exclusion of God, we turn our gifts into a means to fulfill ourselves rather than his purposes. I'll say that one more time. At the exclusion of God, we turn our gifts into a means to fulfill ourselves rather than his purposes, which allows us to see the writing on the wall The gifts and resources given by God are no longer a means for the service of other people, but actually for selfish pleasure and exaltation, which leads us to the inevitable result of pride, the exploitation of power. We'll see in specifically in verse 16 and 18, you see that there's a rich commerce, wealth gained, high status, but all of those leading to violence. Dishonest trade, defilement of the sanctuary, which is sanctuary is another way many of these kings were receiving their money. And basically, in one word, injustice. 
And here's what you should know. Everyone in this room, none of you are excused from that temptation. That temptation is, is there for all of us. And maybe to give you an example, um, there's a, a picture that will come up on the screen. Um, when I was in sixth grade, I really got into basketball. Oh, you like that one? Why don't you go to the next one? Even better. Let's go to the original one, yeah. Let that, let that picture sink into your, your mind. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, I, got, I really got into basketball. Or when I was entering sixth grade. And I got a real big head about it. Um, I was in a smaller elementary school, so I was just schooling everyone. And then I went to middle school. And I was hanging out in recess, and I would often hang out by the basketball courts, just dribbling my ball, waiting for someone, my next victim. And then one day, along comes this kid named Tanner. Tanner was a little bit taller than me, which is okay, because I felt like I had a good enough handles and I had a jump shot as well. So I think I'll be fine. And what proceeded to happen was my dreams of once becoming an NBA star just fading into the wind. The score read 10 to zero. And as I rightly should have, I excused myself to go to the bathroom only to never come out until Reese's was over. What was that? This, of course, was pride. But realize, this is the interesting part, all the warning signs for me were there. There's a bigger pool of competitors. I'm no longer in an elementary school. The hoops get taller. I don't know if anyone's told you that, but the hoops actually get taller when you go to middle school. And I played no defense, which means they were just scoring on me. And you'd think having a four foot 10 mom and a five foot four dad would have given me the foresight to know that basketball is just not my game. <laughs> Pride corrupted my vision. And we know this to be true, even among leaders that we've seen uh, have moral failures or just fall in general. I obviously don't have to name names, but leaders, when they're consumed with power, or with pride, use their power to abuse, hurt, and obtain wealth for selfish gain. Pride corrupts their vision of power. And the ripple effects are quite evident. So ultimately, pride makes every effort to disrupt our vision and our relationship first with God, one another, and even ourselves. So God must respond. God's justice, a persistent reordering of power. The language used against the king in this text is actually quite severe, and it, uh, it should make you uncomfortable to some extent. Destroy, cast out, expose, bringing fire, a dreadful end. We see the fierceness of God in his protection and also his hatred for the abuse of power. But I want, I want to highlight two things from, from this story. One 
is that the text actually begins as the NLT translate, a funeral song. And um, this is coming from the Hebrew word kena, often translated as lament. And actually, um, this idea actually conveys more than just a lamenting posture, but actually a ritual mourning, which gives us a signal towards God's posture. Lament, sadness, not joy. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. That's Jennifer's sermon. Second is the time frame of this event. The prophecy more than likely comes in 586 B.C., only to be fulfilled in 573 B.C. For those of you not good at math, that's 13 years. I believe this gives us a window into God's patience in the process, waiting for repentance. Yet on the flip side, for Israel, it also puts them in a spiritual place of waiting. I sometimes believe this is the moment God brings us closer and looks us in the eye and says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you believe I hold the power, ultimate power? As silly as this might be, uh, the initial image that I got when relating to God's judgment is houseplants. I know, I, I don't know how I get these illustrations. In some sense, they feel like a stretch, but let me, why don't you let me try? Uh, both my girlfriend and my sister-in-law are obsessed with houseplants. And for that reason, somehow, I have houseplants in my office. And I'll admit, it's, it's quite rewarding to see a plant blossom and grow right in front of your eyes. However, one of the things that can happen is that if you have plants next together, all around, you can have a pest infestation or invasion. This, of course, could affect the other plants surrounding it. But yet, if you love that one plant, emphasis on the one, like my girlfriend and sister-in-law do, you may take all the measures necessary to save that one plant. That looks like buying a, an expensive spray of a pesticide. That may look like taking it to a different room and moving all the furniture in order to isolate this one plant, in order to get the proper care it needs. Yet if the problem continues, there is no other option besides throwing the plant away if you want all your other plants to survive. And trust me, trust me, God does not delight or pleasure in throwing anything he's created away. But he must act in order to protect others. God must act in order to protect others. But I don't want us to stay there. I, I think in order to know the fullest image, we have to look to Jesus. And if we believe Jesus is the perfect example of all humanity for us, then it's fair to ask, what would Jesus do? 
How does Jesus exercise power? Think with me. Jesus, King Messiah, Son of God, Son of David, Prince of Peace, Son of Man, God in the flesh. What does he do? It's quite the paradox. He gives up his power for others, coming humbly in a manger, spending most of his ministry homeless, exerting all his power for miracles and, uh, and healings, and washing the disciples' feet. But most importantly, his death. Jesus exercises his power by giving it up and receives the crown of thorns instead of the crown of jewels, the cross instead of the throne. And it actually is in a place left abandoned instead of served. We can see that in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave his divine privileges. But even in Matthew 20, 28, for the Son of Man, that's a kingship term, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And the most uh, the most intriguing one to me is that God would be willing to give all his power even to the fo- point of feeling abandoned. We see that in Mark 14, 34. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sakbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus not only demonstrates his willingness to show us the way, but also God's heart to provide the way. And there's a very critical question you might be asking. What does this mean for you and I? How are we supposed to apply these truths? Well, I believe through the king of Tyre, the bad example, and through the king Jesus, the good example, we can learn that in our response to the seduction of power is actually rhythms of humility, giving up power for the sake of others. What what would that look like? Any point of power or privilege that we may have, actually Jesus models for us to give that up in spaces, whether that's financially, giving up to organizations that help the other, whether that's Time, spending time for English tutoring for people who English is their second language in this country. There are many examples we can do, but most importantly, it's about giving up that power for the sake of others. That's what Jesus taught. And second, through Israel in exile and through Jesus on the cross, we learn that our response in the midst of injustice And the abuse of power is to have rhythms of hope. Choosing to believe in God's power in the places you feel most injustice. I believe that one is by far the harder one. Because you might be like Israel, asking, yet God, where is your justice? Where is your power? in my most time of need. 
And on that thought, I'd like to end with this photo. Really cute, isn't it? My hair looks really great in that picture, by the way. I've had a, a really long spiritual journey with this photo. This has always been a very difficult image for me to look at. There's a lot of pain in that photo. A lot of hurt. In some ways, this photo symbolizes to me a, a time when I felt most abandoned by God. And the, following, and the questions to follow, where were you, God? Why didn't you protect me? Where is your power? It's the day I forgot how to be a child. And I look at this room, and it's hard to look at some of your faces. Because I know you have similar moments. And I remember we're receiving, as a staff, uh, we're receiving training on healing prayer. And for those of you who don't know, healing prayer is where we sit in community and we interact with God in our places of deepest pain. And we're sitting there, a bunch of us, and Laura Cher is leading us through this prayer and asks us to think of a moment in pain, of pain. I have two, two moments that come to my mind. One I didn't share, which is this photo, and another I did. The one I didn't share was this image and what it ultimately represented to me. And then Laura proceeded to ask, Jesus, where were you in this moment of pain? It took everything in me to not get hysterical. And so I'm sitting there and I'm praying. And I just get this image. Jesus holding me like a child with tears. And then as I'm praying, another one of our staff members comes in <laughs> out of the bathroom, I think. <laughs> and he comes in and he says, Efren, I have an image for you. <laughs> it's of you riding a bike. And uh, I learned something that day. Uh, there couldn't have been words to persuade me to believe that God was in control in that moment. What I needed was an encounter, and that's what I got. Another image, picture to be sealed into my soul. It's the beginning of a healing journey for me to trust that God is even in control in the places of deepest pain. And what's interesting, or, and that's sometimes the greatest display of God's power to heal us from our deepest wounds. And I hate to pivot here, but I'm a Bible nerd, so I'm going to. Um, and what's interesting is actually in ancient Near Eastern literature, which would be around the Old Testament time, most other nations had this idea that whenever they would be destroyed or would be attacked by another nation, turned into exile. There would be, the explanation would be that God has left the temple. God has left their presence. 
What's different about our scriptures and what's different about Yahweh is that he is actually ever more present in the moments like these in exile. And we see that not only with Yahweh, but also with Jesus. And like Israel, there, there's going to be moments you're going to feel abandoned. And all you have is the truth of God's character and the hope that he will one day make things right. But right now, right now, you have the invitation to experience God's love in the places you felt the deepest injustice. And God will actually meet you. That's power. That's power. Let me pray for us. A father, son, and spirit. We invite you into this place. Spirit, would you come and feel your presence among these people? And I recognize my story isn't alone. Many people in this room who have felt the similar things. So God, would you meet them? And would you meet us with your power and with your comfort? And God, may these this next song be an anthem to what we believe as a church body. You are the Lord who reigns. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.